So before you sit down, glance around this very full church, including up front. Do you who come regularly see any newcomers or folks whose name you can't remember? Yeah, me too. So carefully note them to seek out after church at the community hour. These strangers may be the angels that we are entertaining unaware. As you heard in the lesson. And you recently arrived angels. Angels. Welcome to a congregation that hopes to greet you but not overwhelm you. And now, everyone, please be comfortably seated. First of all, I want to appreciate our guest musicians. We are amalgamating cultures today, hearing sounds outside of our Episcopal hymnal and even beyond Lift Every Voice. I hope the sermon and music resonate with each other and stretch our comfort zones. That is my aim today, to stretch our comfort zones. So here is Jesus at this dinner party at the home of a leader of the Pharisees, a very important man entertaining other important men. To find Jesus in this room gives me a little cognitive dissonance because my idea of Jesus is on a hillside with 5,000 everyday people, including women and children. But of course, I know he does fit around this table of very important people because his work is to bring a kind of tough love to unlikely places. It's me that is uncomfortable at dinner parties. So Jesus begins to make me feel more present by telling a story. The story is about how these men appear to him. He sees them as a group of men who know their own place in their culture and were satisfied with it. They may not have questioned their pride in their elevated positions. They are the culture leaders who are watching Jesus closely to see, to catch him breaking the traditions of their elders and the rules they live by. Jesus begins his story with a familiar and gratifying scene for the diners. You are to be invited to a wedding ceremony and banquet, he says. And their thoughts leap to this occasion, an important wedding. They they think of the possibilities and each chooses in his mind the family that they know best at whose table they will have the highest place next to the host. Ah, the bliss. But then Jesus trips them up Someone more important than they has been invited unexpectedly, and they have to take a lower seat. 
What a humiliating, outlandish proposition. Does he want to change our way of life? Now, while I can feel the jolt of Jesus' story in that room, the story itself doesn't particularly trouble me because as a woman of modest circumstances and very little power, I don't feel particularly convicted by this story. (laughs) At any party, I would be likely to take the least visible seat. But of course... Jesus' stories always concern the human condition, and so I know to pay attention. And paying attention brings me to a place the New York Times magazine from two Sundays ago. You may have seen it. I hope you did. Um, It was on the anniversary of the 400th year of the introduction of enslaved persons to America. This anniversary, as we contemplate it, might give us the same kind of jolt Jesus tried to give the Pharisees. So I considered, and I remembered that the Diocese of Maryland has been thinking about its history regarding slavery, and a statement from their deliberations describes a culture in their diocese, primarily white congregations, reminiscent of Jesus' assessment of the Pharisees. Here's what they said. The descendants of the slaves in our country as a group still live today without power. There are a number of dynamics that underlie this powerlessness, but particularly important one is the way white people walk in the world. In general, there is an assumption that white people can go almost anywhere, be accepted almost anywhere, and that white customs and norms are the ones to adhere to. All of these feelings give white Americans a sense of power, a sense of being comfortable in the world. And now I do feel convicted. I am a white American in a denomination that has prospered from slavery. So in repentance, I have been reading articles from the New York Times Sunday Magazine two weeks ago titled The 1619 Project. The first essay by Nicole Hannah-Jones struck me viscerally and gave me new insights into our nation's history. She tells how she didn't understand while she was growing up all through high school. Her dad flew on a very tall flagpole in their front yard, an American flag. And whenever it got the least bit worn, he replaced it, even though their own house needed painting and repairs that they couldn't afford to make. As she matured, it took her a long time, she discovered why he did that. Here's what she says in the article. Despite being violently denied the freedom, freedom and justice promised to all, black Americans believed fervently in the American creed, 
In every war this nation has waged, black Americans have fought. Today, we are the most likely of all racial groups to serve in the United States military. My father, she says, my father was one of those many black Americans who answered the call. He knew that the year 1619 is as important to the American story as 1776. No people has a greater claim to the flag than us. And she goes on in that article to encapsulate the whole history of our country from the African-American point of view, pointing out how many of our freedoms have just been raised by the fight that black Americans have made for themselves and for all of us. It's a terrific article. And I urge you to Google it, the 1619 Project. So now, I take you from there back to the Pharisees around that table. We are not there at their table, although Jesus is here with us, as he was with them. Here at God's table for Eucharist at St. Martin's, Every place is the same. There is always enough to go around. There is always room for you. Be strong and be humble. They are not mutually exclusive. Amen.